Welcome to Day on Broadway for Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, I know I pretty much bring up any time Adrian Warren and the cast of Tina performs on anything, but they performed on Colbert Rightfully on Monday so, night. To be fair, yeah. Right. And it's like those performances are just, I don't know what it is about them. They're so raw and electric and hot. And I don't I mean, sure. I don't mean like sexually or attractiveness, although Adrian Warren, duh. But I just mean there's something like palpitating uh, about them that they, they just jump off the screen. And I haven't seen the stage show yet because on my last trip, I said, well, I'm going to hold off on Tina because I know it's going to be around when I come back next time. So I saw some things that right, yes, weren't yeah, going to be safe. around. Um, I knew it was going to, but it's just, I know it's not a great show, but that performance and the music is just so, I don't know, gripping and so exciting and, and rejuvenating that uh, this is a great performance. It's just Adrian with a band with a bunch of strings right behind her on the stage. The The rest of the cast is upstairs singing back up. What do they just perform? A, uh, uh, mountain uh, or river deep. Oh, mountain nice, high. perfect. Yeah, and the, the the rasp in her voice, and she just does this wail, this scream at the end of the song. Oh, it's like, it. a, how does Adrian Warren, who has a very nice soprano, sing that note once, let alone eight times a week? Um, obviously she's got alternates and stuff and and whatever, but I mean, it's just like that's insane that she's been doing this show now for coming on a year and a half tv to yeah. show off yeah yeah just like it's she's amazing and i've long talked about my love for her on this show especially how i wish she would be the first full-time glenda of color because that's she said that's a dream of hers but i think she might be too big to be a year 18 replacement I in, mean, in wicked could be fun though could get some more people in seats <laughs> I mean, Might get I don't me think Wicked's having any problems. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I would go. Yeah. But they're not having any problems filling yeah. seats. Oh, but. well, they're not going to close like this year? I mean, <laughs> you never know. Anyway, <laughs> um, one thing we do know is I spoke with Jennifer McHugh on Tuesday, and we are in to do some sort of yes. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist recap show on uh, the Patreon. It won't be every week because you don't need that it's not that it's not that of a plot driven show we don't think even though it's only been one episode but um we will get together every two or three episodes and uh you know chat and see what uh we I can like talk it. about and I'm glad it's yeah happening. so that should be fun so yeah. head over to patreon.com slash broadway radio broadwayradio.com slash patreon uh zoe's extraordinary playlist returns to nbc in february and in the very first episode back or in the second uh, second episode of the season uh, Broadway's own Stephanie Stiles joins the cast. Oh, so, very uh, cool. Nice. So, yeah. So, that will be fun. You've so. at least got me curious enough to check it out. So, there you go. Yeah. When I, t- I actually a, That's mentioned- one win. Yeah. I actually told Jen, like, hey, are you going to watch this? And she's like, yeah, I don't know. I was like, just watch it. It's a lot more than I expected it to be. That's good. And, that's and she watched it. Yeah. She watched it and she said, you did not tell me that I would be crying in a ball on my couch when i watched this so uh yeah so check it out and uh, come follow along on patreon and jen and i will talk about zoe's extraordinary playlist all right ashley we have some news and it is some news (laughs) we do yes (laughs) Uh, because yesterday philip barra from the broadway journal which is not obviously one of the bigger broadway publications but he is very well connected and i can independently confirmed that this story is true 
In fact, mm. I don't think Philip went far enough. Oh. Um, Philip reported that Adina Menzel is in talks to play Fanny Bryce in a Broadway revival of Funny Girl this coming fall. I can tell you that I think that those talks are now uh, just about who is going to design her opening night dress. Oh. Uh, this would be a... Um, It'd be the first Broadway revival uh, of the show, but it would actually be kind of an extension of the production that was done at the Minier Chocolate Factory in London, directed by Michael Mayer, who will again direct. It was produced by Sonia Friedman and David Babani. Uh, they did this production in 2015 with Sheridan Smith uh, playing Fanny Bryce. The only difference would be here that uh, Adina Menzel would be playing Fanny Bryce. The, re the book has been revised by Harvey Firestein, uh, and Menzel oh, would hello. play the role. This would be, um, I think, would probably be a limited run, but I do not know that for sure. But additional casting and creative teams and uh, all of those things um, will be announced, I assume, fairly soon. Sonia Friedman and David Babani are going to be they're the UK-based producers. They will be the leads. I think there will be one very large-named uh, producer from the States who will be a part of this who often works with Sonia Friedman as a down-the-line producer and who also has a major Broadway revival musical coming to Broadway next year. So this is not the same production as the very successful Paris one. Correct. Not the same with the, the Christina Bianca Yeah, production, no. okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Here's, because we, here's all, we all kind of talked about that and talked about how good the reviews were. I think it was when James, totally. James and I were talking. and uh, I think I was on, too. I you think might, it, uh, yeah, you it might have been me. We probably yeah. have talked about it multiple times because true, the reviews true. have been so good. And there was talks that maybe that could transfer. And so this is interesting. For many, many I, reasons. I have I have some comments, and I want to say this delicately, because I don't want this to come off as the man being misogynistic about this. So if I oh, venture into there, please tell me, because that's oh, not how you. I want this to sound. I got you. I have often said that I don't really care about age when it comes to a performer sure. and the role they're playing. As long as the person can pass for that age. Like the stuff with Frozen, a lot of people were concerned that Casey Levy and Patty Murin were too old to play Anna and Elsa. Like that didn't bother me at all. They look on stage, they look young enough. And who's really to say how old someone gets, you know, uh, you know, when Coronation is in the kingdom of Arendelle. Like it, it could be 30 right. and 35. And we've had, a, we've had a lot of that conversation around company yeah. as well, too. Yes. With, I mean, there were rumors and wants of like Kate Baldwin playing it and Laura Benanti and Anne Hathaway. Well, Anne Hathaway is young enough, I think. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, that it always becomes a conversation, but it's yeah. a matter of does this, he, yeah, does, does this person actually here, here, fit the role? Here's the thing. Yeah. Adina Menzel, who looks better now than, in my opinion, she has ever looked, whether Correct. that's good genes or something else. Money. She she will. <laughs> you said it, not me. It was the woman it's who said that, not it's the money. man. It's money. It's <laughs> money. Um, but she will be 49 uh, this year. I believe when this show starts, Fanny Bryce is 16. Yes. And I do not believe she ages much past She's her 20s. certainly a teen. She is yeah, a teen and, and funny girl. Yes, and hence the girl. Yes. Um, and she doesn't get much older than that. I mean, she gets into her 20s. With all due respect to Adina, I just don't know that that's the right casting. My other issue is, is this is 
a redonkulously difficult score to sing. And I think Adina Menzel has one of the most interesting, nuanced voices. Love her voice. She's amazing. In a recording in yes. a recording studio. Sure. Getting her on stage is always a crapshoot um, because it could go really, really badly. And it has. And I, I worry because this is a very difficult score. It's a very difficult sing. I don't know if she can do eight shows a week. Will she need to have... Uh, an alternate. I mean, I I hate to f- I hate to be throwing a cold blanket on this. Sure. Because she's gonna sell. Um, she's gonna sell. Oh yeah, it's gonna she'll be get butts and seats. And it's not gonna be at a huge house, so it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna sell. But I'm just like, I don't get this casting other than you want Elsa to play Fanny Bryce. Yeah, it's this is strange. I. As a whole, I mean, besides, as I said, the Paris production and maybe that one transferring, Funny Girl as a whole seems really weird to transfer or to put on the Broadway stage at the moment. Uh, you know, as everyone else has said, I think Leah Michelle's probably screaming since she's been rumored oh, she's, on and off. She, she is pouting. She is telling her Lee mother that Michael, she is not. Oh, God, that's true, too. I didn't even think of it. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, especially yeah. with Michael Mara directing. I, he directed her in Spring Awakening. So it's like, well, yeah. when's my turn? Just, well, there might be a reason. It's not. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure. <laughs> but I mean, that's not the only production. I mean, we've obviously there was the Lauren Ambrose production right. that was scuttled. There was this one. Then last year, we uh, Rosie O'Donnell was floating a, a production with her and Lady Gaga. I was going to say the Lady Gaga one. Yeah. Is, it's so just I guess like, that might be dead in the water. Apparently so. And it seems like everybody has, a lot of people have talked about like, uh, Jesse Mueller playing the part. I don't think she's Jewish. Maybe she is. I, I don't think I don't know that she is. But I think that's something where you probably do want an actor actress of of with a Jewish background to play this part. But uh, it just seems weird to me all around. And I hate to poo poo it. I know our friend Robbie Rizell on Twitter said that he was rewriting his monologue for uh, Tuesdays at fifty four with Robbie Rizell <laughs> on the that. fly because I'm really of this jealous. news. Really jealous. Yeah. I couldn't be I just... there. Okay. So here's my question. Okay. Let's just say that. Adina Menzel does this, and she does have an alternate, like a Hello Dolly type alternate for one or two shows, or, or sure. not, sure. not like Phantom, because it would it would have to be somebody of somewhat of a name. Mm. I have someone in my mind that I would like to okay. see that would fit into the Adina Menzel mold, but obviously someone who is willing to be an alternate. Do you have anyone that comes to mind for you? I don't because I'm just so like shell shocked, but especially with all the all the names that have been tossed around for like. A decade now, both movie version, like movie remake versions and stage versions. I I don't even know who's you. Who would, is your pick? If Adina does six, I would not mind one Shoshana Bean doing two. That would be very nice. I'll, but I also I don't know that she could play six, Shoshana Bean on stage. Yeah. yeah, also don't know if she could play sixteen. But if Adina's doing it normally, who the hell cares? I, I, I you know. <laughs> I'm I'm just really confused as like story structure. If they're going to change anything, I can't imagine. Maybe they'll make going to maybe Harvey. Maybe Harvey's revised book has it as a memory play. Uh, that knows? would be interesting. Maybe maybe she is not the only Fanny Bryce that will be on that stage. Which is really with this casting, the only thing I can see as being the like they reality. did with the Vita. You mean? Yeah, the, what, exactly. Okay. That is the Here's, only thing that I can really see happening here because that is I don't see that substantial and strange. It's, it's yes, it is. Now, here's the only way that I want – because here's the thing. 
Barbara Streisand, this is Barbara Streisand's role. And right. I will never hear a, a song, someone sing a song from Funny Girl and not think, eh, it's not Barbara. So here's the only way that I think that someone should be bringing Funny Girl back to Broadway. Are you ready for this? This is something that oh you should be suggesting and not me. Okay. <laughs> Let a drag queen play Oh, Fanny God, Bryce. always. Please. I yeah. mean, seriously. And if you want to lip sync to Barbara, that's fine. for that, yeah. Maybe not. But I mean, like, if you're going to do, if you're going to do Funny Girl, do that. I mean, because everything else is going to be compared to Barbara. And that's just not fair to the performer because no one is going to be Barbara in this role. Yeah. No, that's, that's very fair. I, that's, I guess, again, that's, maybe that's the substantial change. There needs to be a substantial change to it. And maybe they have done a substantial change where it's a memory play. I don't think they have. <laughs> I guess we have to find out. We'll find out. I, am, right. I am hoping because as much as I love her, it just doesn't. Yeah. If, it it's doesn't not, work for me on paper. No, it, it certainly does not. But um, let us know what you think about this. If you have some ideas on how, what, well, if you think that this is going to work, if you think this is brilliant casting, let us know on Twitter and Facebook. Or if you have ideas on how to make Funny Girl work in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, let us know those as well. I hope Harvey Firestein, who I adore, has Oh, let him made... play her mother. <gasps> there we go. I love there it. Go. See? Yeah. This is this is the casting Seriously. I'm looking for. Bernie. Telsey. Bernie Telsey. <laughs> uh, 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 Ruben. Uh, Tara Ruben. Call me. Like, the, I am missing my calling <laughs> here. For f- almost four full years, I've been dropping casting gold. It's true. And no one, yeah. no one has ever taken me up on the opportunity to come in and be a casting director. Anyway, you Ashley, this, yesterday... We... You can fund this via Patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> Slash Broadway Radio. <laughs> yes, thank you for finishing that. Um, yesterday, we had some news from the Broadway League that we did not get into because there was so much stuff to talk about, but we wanted to give it its due time. So, today we're going to talk about the demographics of the Broadway audience for the 2018-2019 Broadway season. This is the annual report released by the Broadway League every year that gives us some basic uh, background into who was seeing Broadway shows. They have a complete uh, report with all of their information that is available for purchase. We will have a link to that in the show notes if you would like. But the big numbers are during the uh, 2018-2019 Broadway season, 14.8 million tickets were sold, which was an all-time high. 35% of those attendees came from the New York City metropolitan area, which means 65 were not from New York, 46 were from the United States, but not in New York City, 19 were from other countries, which was the highest number of international visitors of all time. I mean, I guess this is a little surprising. Um, This number, 68% of the audiences were female. I knew it would be more female, but Mm. I didn't realize it would be that much more female. And it's up from last year. It was 66 last year. Yeah, so I don't know if that, I mean, obviously there's going to be some ebb and flow based off the shows and, you know, just normal statistical changes, but um, I was a little surprised by that. The average age of the theater goer remained consistent at 42.3 years old. It's been hovering between 40 and 45 for the past 20 years. Um, uh, And this is a number that doesn't look great, Ashley, but it actually is a high. 3.8 million of those 14.8 million were non-Caucasian theater goers with that's still a startlingly small number, um, but but if it's moving up, I guess that's better than nothing. Um, here's another number that is also startling. The annual has- household income for the uh. Broadway theater goer was $261,000. <laughs> 
that means that when you think about that, if they are doing a scientific poll and including people who paid $25 for rush tickets, students, all of that stuff, that means that if you look at the right. mean, it is probably much, much higher sure. than the, you know, over a quarter of a million dollars uh, household. Yeah, there. I'd love to see the breakup of that. I was talking about that earlier, like, because I know they had the numbers as far as like massive theater fans to people who are seeing multiple multiple shows a year but i don't think i don't know because i haven't looked at the full report yet um i don't know if they break that up versus yeah that's interesting what they're bringing in per year because i can tell you full disclosure i am not making two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per year 261 i mean if we're rounding 261 yeah yeah it's it's close oh they're they're rounding yeah (laughs) uh yeah it's that's a startling number and this is why for all of the weird just stuff that jeremy o'harris tries to stir the pot with yes on twitter this is why i love the kind of stuff that he has really promoted from day one with slave play whether it was you know the reaching out to audiences that wouldn't other get otherwise get tickets or keeping the, you know ticket prices uh cheap for every show having the opportunity where you can pay for someone else to come see the show who might not otherwise those are things that, that i just so think are incredibly much. important yeah. but when this annual household income is so high and despite it being a record the number of non-caucasian theater goers being so low so right. that's right. why those things I, I i will always mention those because i i think they're so very important oh other, hugely the other thing that's really important actually the last thing on their little rundown was, and I'm going to read this quote verbatim, the vast majority of current theater goers, they don't give a number, but the vast majority of current theater goers had some connection to theater going as a child. Uh, this is the other part of that, especially with things like Eduham um, and the thing yeah. with uh, with To Kill a Mockingbird in, mm-hmm. in Madison Square Garden. Getting kids into see theater will dramatically increase their Vital. willingness to see theater as adults. And if we want theater to continue to be fresh and new and have ideas and have an audience and have theater makers as as new generations come of age, we have to get kids in the theater. Absolutely. And beyond that, I mean, funding arts education in general. I mean, that's... And funding arts in general, but yeah. Funding arts in ge- general, funding arts education in general. I mean, it's vital. But yeah, uh, there's nothing really surprising here because it's a no. little bit of an increase from last year. I think I, the first thing we need to address here is that differentiation between number in numbers, mainly the income level and the demographics. I mean, okay, audience is typically about 40 years old. I think they said 40 to 45 40, over the yeah. past couple decades. Mm-hmm. There's an increase. I am dangerously close to hitting that. Number, so. <laughs> Uh, there's an increase of people of color seeing shows. Women are always the demo- the dominant demographic at 68%, as I said, up from 66% last year. But, you know, producers are still mostly, mostly paying for all white or all or mostly, all or mostly male creative teams and not necessarily taking risks on productions as some are because they kind of are relying on that target demographic of the $261,000 income earners. Also the tourist number is kind of weird to me still because it means that New York city audiences really aren't going to see shows as much. <laughs> like it was 65 to 35 tourists to New Yorkers. I mean, that's a massive split. None of us have money to go see shows except for... <laughs> you, gotta pay, you gotta pay huge rents in New York. We don't gotta pay rents <laughs> yeah. like that out here I in know. the hinterlands. 
But yeah, I mean, that's, as you were talking about Jeremy O'Harris having all these different kinds of programs and, you know, blackout nights and ways that people can pay for other people's tickets. I mean, those are so huge because otherwise it's your you're really funding shows for people who are coming in from out of town. So what do those shows look like? I mean, someone coming in from out of town, except for, you know, people like you (laughs) aren't going to go see Slave Play. I saw it off Broadway, so I'm I'm not Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this is a very... Well, not coming uh, into town to see Slave Play on Broadway. You came into town to see it off Broadway. Correct. Correct. And man, did I get an eye-opening experience sitting in the front row. (laughs) Um, But I I view this conversation very similarly to the one that we had about the Academy Award nominations. When you continue to make things of a certain kind, when it comes to films, those types of things are going to get recognized because they are playing to a certain group of people. and And I don't think it's necessarily even a cognizant racially motivated thing it's just the things that speak to them are going to be the ones they nominate and if you're doing shows by a bunch of white people and white men that's the things that are going to be recognized because those are the things they identify with if you continue to make shows for um predominantly uh you know 11 million out of 14.8 million white people um who have uh, whose annual household income is over a quarter of a million dollars who are over the age of 40 those are the types of shows that you're making those are the types of audiences that you're going to attract you have to be willing to make things that don't directly scream this demographic if you want to change this and i just don't know that producers do and obviously i understand the you know the fiduciary responsibilities that they have to their investors to do things that they think audience is going to come to but if you want to really encourage the growth of the theater audience you have to be willing to do things that don't scream this could have been written in the 1950s we don't need the same all white family dinner table you know, drama, do something different. Right, exactly. And people, I, by and large, people are going to go see the things that speak most to their experience of individuals. They're totally, not, and that's not a bad thing n- for them. No, not of course, no, not at all. But that is, you know, at a base level dictating what work also gets produced because if your exactly. audience is a majority white then producers are going to produce things for white audiences and it's not malicious it's just it's no but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy exactly yes and and the only thing we can hope for is that work like uh slave play and hamilton obviously what the constitution means to me even things like the lightning thief because that gets younger audiences to the door be more chill absolutely you have to hope that work like that gets produced and you have to find ways you know in your own world to help work get produced like that and producers are willing to take risks on art as well i've said before that in theater maybe more than any other art form and certainly more now than at other points in time the producer has the greatest amount of say in a show and who gets cast and what creative team comes on which is scary because they absolutely have to act in their best interest but some of those producers best interests thankfully is also the greater art for yeah. <laughs> few and far well, between and- but you know they're putting some faith in brave diverse varied work at least yeah and last two quick points on this because we've talked about this long enough sure this is why i also a think that not-for-profit companies have a responsibility to lead in this way in a way that they have not done so 
yeah. in recent years. Um, great that that Roundabout is doing a soldier's play, but they have been so poor in having shows that are not almost uniformly oh, totally. white. Yeah. Uh, Manhattan Theater Club um, as well. Second Stage has been a, a bit better on Broadway, but th- that's a responsibility. But that's also the, one of the reasons that I for all of the crappiness that Scott Rudin throws into the theater community, he does take those risks on unique yeah. voices and unique yeah. looking cast. And uh, it, he might not always treat them well once he brings them to Broadway. <laughs> and, and usually it's yeah, at least a, a good amount of time because yeah. there are certainly shows coming and going on. That totally. Do but not fit that bill. Yeah. But he very much takes risks. I mean, he freaking brought Gary to Broadway last year. Like, who the hell else is going to bring that show? Yeah. So, anyway. All right, sure. let's talk about the rest of the news here. Actually, yesterday we got word that, I know, one of our favorite playwrights, uh, David Mamet's new play, The Christopher Boys Communion, <laughs> will be staged for the first time. This time it will be a very limited run in Los Angeles from February 13th through February 23rd. And it's going to have some pretty famous people. William H. Macy, who actually co-founded the Atlantic or the Atlantic Theater Company with David Mamet, um, will be leading the company. Clark Gregg, who was an original uh, found a founding member of the Atlantic Theater Company, he will also be in the show, uh, as well as Fanola Flanagan, who recently was a Tony nominee for um, the the Irish play. The uh, what was the the one with like the 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 ducks and stuff. Of the ferryman. The ferryman. That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the one f- with the ducks. I can't stuff. remember. I'm so old. Um, <laughs> so we'll have more information about that. I'm sure tickets will be very hard to come by. Next up today, January fifteenth, the return engagement of Forbidden Broadway: The Next Generation will begin performances at the York Theater off Broadway. Um, this is currently on sale or on uh, scheduled to play through February 16th. And do you remember a week or so ago, and I can't remember if you were on Ashley or not, but when mm. we talked about the fact that the national or the North American tour of Hello Dolly was canceling tour yeah. stops, we yeah. mentioned the fact that one of those would be happening uh, in in Toronto. And that production will be replaced by a production of The Boyfriend, which is going to be a bit of a transfer from the Minier Chocolate Factory. However... Kelsey Grammer will be leading the company of this production Mm. in Canada, making his uh, Canadian stage debut. This will run uh, in Toronto from March 29th through May 3rd. And finally today, uh, yesterday, the Broadway production of Moulin Rouge announced that paying tribute to the origins of Moulin Rouge, they would be having, uh, they would be naming Sunday, January 26th as Australia Day. And for that day's performance of Moulin Rouge, the profits from the performance will be donated to support Australian wildlife relief. And then on Monday, January 17th, Moulin Rouge uh, and as well as some of their friends will present the Make It Rain rally to benefit the Australian bushfires at La Poisson Rouge uh, downtown. Uh, They will have performances and uh, all of that will be um helping the fire relief red cross all of those things uh, in australia obviously baz lerman uh, is australian and a lot yeah. of his works um have a very australian feel and that's very important so i think that's a great thing yeah, to great. uh to be contributing to that so scary so so scary i, I mean and, and obviously there's things happening all around the world and it's all uh, scary it's all scary, but if you have any money that you are willing to send 
by way of Australia, there's great foundations like Wires Wildlife Rescue and RSPCA Australia, Animals Australia. So if you can, and I mean, if you want to, but if you can, check those out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW. Matt, Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. All right, you can head over to patreon.com slash Broadway Radio if you want to uh, get signed up before Jennifer McHugh and I dive into Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Um, We will be back to talk to you uh, on Thursday. So everybody have a great hump day and we'll talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.